Hi, and welcome to the Writers' Forum on WRBH. I'm David Benedetto, and today I'm very happy to welcome author, poet, and teacher Sandra Cisneros to the program. Mrs. Narrows has received numerous awards throughout her career, including a MacArthur Fellowship and a National Medal of the Arts. She is the author of several books, including Caramello, Loose Women, The Memoir, A House of My Own, and of course, her beloved first novel, The House on Mango Street. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me. Well, I'm glad you could be here. Uh, what brings you to New Orleans? Uh, well, my mentor and my one of my first publishers is Norma Alarcón, or Dr. Norma Alarcón, Professor Emeritus from UC Berkeley. And she now lives here with her son, and so I'm visiting her. Which is a, a beautiful thing to see. And you caught the good weather, too, which I is did. great. Um, yeah. Because it has been pretty miserable before this. Yes, I know. I lived in South Texas for 25 years, so I know about miserable weather. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, where are you living right now? Where are you working? I live in Mexico in a valley in a town called San Miguel de Allende. And uh, it's a, a little bit older than New Orleans. It was founded in the 1500s. And I think New Orleans was founded somewhere near there, no? Close to it, yes. Yeah, so we're, we were founded in the early 1500s. And uh, it's a colonial town. It's pretty much a tourist town like this city and uh, probably the capital of all the weddings in the world. Everybody comes <laughs> over there to get married. But uh, that's where I make my home now. That's fantastic. And what what, what made you decide to, to live there? Well, um, you know, my ancestors on my mother's side are from that region. And uh, I had never really explored it, and I was asked to come and do a lecture a couple of years ago. Uh, I liked it enough to finish a book there, and then I decided to sell my house in Texas and pick up roots, and uh, now I'm there. Oh, great. Um, one of the things I was excited about for this interview was getting to reread or read for the first time some of your work that I was, uh, it's been quite a bit, and I had never read your introduction to The House on Mango Street that you did for the 25th anniversary, uh, which you spent a good bit talking about uh, your office at that point in Texas. Uh, what's your office like now? Well, um, when I wrote the book, I, I wrote it in, in Chicago. Mm -hmm. I, I started the book in Iowa, wrote it in Chicago, finished it in Greece, and then the book came out when I made my debut in Texas, so mm -hmm. it's kind of moved around with me. And now... Uh, I live in, as I said, in a uh, small town, and my office is every room in my house. Ah. I, I didn't want to have a separate office anymore where my animals couldn't come in and be around me because I think it's essential uh, when you are writing to have things of the spirit next to you, you know, a vase of flowers or a plant of some sort, potted plant or a cat or a dog or whatever, parrot or whatever, because uh, writing's very solitary and uh, you need all the help you can get and you can't have people around you because they uh, d interrupt but animals for the most part are very soothing interesting well, what pets do you have i have uh, four dogs uh i have uh, no no longer do i have parrots and cats i had to uh, I'm sadly let them go when I moved south to Mexico, but I did bring some of my dogs with me and I acquired some. So now I only have four dogs. It's a lot of life still. But they're little. So, you know, they're about the size of your boot, so yeah. not so big. And, and they're great to have around, as I said, when you're working. Just having their company is uh, encouraging. Yeah. Um, we were talking a little bit before about, you know, The House on Mango Street, which is the book you're most well-known for. Um, well, it's it's my most popular book, mm -hmm. but it's not my favorite book. Yeah, no. 
I was gonna I was gonna ask that, like what your relationship is to this book almost thirty five years later now. Well, I, it's my uh, oldest child, yeah. and you know, it's my oldest child, and it's it's proper that the oldest child should get up and go out and get a job and feed the rest of the family. And it's doing that for me, allowing me to live in Mexico comfortably. And I'm very happy that uh, the work has found an audience and it's doing its medicine. Because I think of books as being medicine. They come to us at the right time when we need them and they heal us if it's the right prescription. Uh, This book, I'm very fortunate, in my lifetime has found its patience and it is doing its healing work, and I'm so lucky to witness all this. So I, I don't feel upset that it's my most popular book, but uh, it's doing the work that the others will do someday yeah. or may never do because each book has to find its own audience. And But I always feel my best work is in front of me. Interesting. Um, would you mind sharing a, a bit from that book? Yes. This book, I, I wrote it when I was a high school teacher uh, working in a alternative high school with kids that were really had difficult lives, much more difficult than mine. So I gathered it, uh, the stories from my students, I gathered the houses and the addresses and the streets from my hometown, Chicago, and uh, all the emotions, however, good or bad, are mine. And this is a chapter when the protagonist uh, really wants to speak about the house of her dreams. It's called A House of My Own. Not a flat, not an apartment in back, not a man's house, not a daddy's, a house, all my own, with my porch and my pillow, my pretty purple petunias, my books and my stories, my two shoes waiting beside the bed, nobody to shake a stick at, nobody's garbage to pick up after. Only a house, quiet as snow, a space for myself to go, clean as paper before the poem. Thank you so much. Um, I read on your website that someone had recently arranged an orchestral version inspired by this work. Yes, uh, Derek Bermel uh, debuted uh, a complete orchestra, you know, whole score, a suite of Mango Street at uh, Chautauqua this, up in upstate New York this summer, and I was lucky enough to be there. It's going to be traveling to other places, but this was kind of the first version. Mm. And uh, it was really exciting to be in the audience, even though I wrote the book, to see it translated into song and dance and music. Uh was moving. Yeah. You know? I grew up in Chicago in poor neighborhoods, but my mom would take us to Grant Park Bandshell to listen to music that was free because there were seven kids. Yeah. You, you have to pick what's free. And uh, I grew up listening to a lot of opera and classical music. So to be in the audience with you know, 2,000 or more people listening to a score inspired by people I knew and neighborhood I knew and kind of people that don't usually get um, described with love was very moving for me. And even though I wrote the piece, I think I was the most weepy in the audience. (laughs) It was really, it was was the same way I felt when I saw it interpreted to theater. You know, even though you're the author, when someone else translates it to another genre, um, 
it's like you're listening to it for the first time. Yeah, seeing these different textures that you maybe yes. never noticed. Yes, well, you, you can hear them in your head. Like, I, I always hear things in my head so that, you know, when I'm writing things, I do hear a kind of scope and breath that I can't, I'm trying to put with language. Mm -hmm. But to see a musician do that and see an orchestra and to see dancers and singers singing the lines was really great. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine. So now Derek has asked if I'd be interested in writing the libretto. Oh, wow. And of course, I'm not that silly to say, yeah, I'll do that by myself. <laughs> I said, I would love to do it, but only if I did an apprenticeship with a true librettist. Uh, I think I could do it, but I would need to be guided. Yeah. So that's my caveat. Interesting. So are you working on that right now? Or? No, I'm only in the stage of thinking about it, you know, okay. so we haven't uh, yet collaborated. It was just, it's just in the works, in the talking stage. And I would love to expand. I'm always trying to grow and I write essays. I write children's stories. I'd love to add librettists to my uh, curriculum vita and, you know, I want to do other things. I'd like to do screenplays and I'd like to do theater and I'm also a visual artist. So at this age, at 62, I feel like um, I'm just being reborn. Yeah. It's time for me to stretch out and do other things. And that's the only way I would want to revisit the first book, only if I was able to uh, take it to another genre. To reinterpret and to, yes. to look at that way. I think yes. that, that's really fascinating. Yes. Um, and part of what I've always admired about you and your career is that you seem willing to not be scared to go into different genres, to different mediums. Well, not if I collaborate. Yeah. I think that's the way to do it, don't yeah. you? you? I know, think so. You, it's like, you know, someone says, would you like to be an acrobat? Well, of course, but you have to serve an apprenticeship, no? You don't want to make a fool of yourself. You have to do it with someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah. And I think that's the way to do it. I agree. And uh, as far as writing, you, uh, for your first book, obviously, you worked in a very hybrid uh, type of style of writing uh, between, you know, stories and poetry. Yes. How would you create it? Yes, which I created because I was a poet who wrote fiction and a fiction writer who wrote poetry. I, I felt in between, but... Uh, I didn't know that there were other books that were exploring that middle terrain. Uh, I looked at some writers who had done that, but I didn't have a, a, an idea that there were story cycles or novels that were written in that form until after I finished the book. But I, I was always trying to um, explore borders. And I think now at 62, I'm still exploring borders yeah yeah I, I want to do new works and explore art and, and installations and a novel kind of novel and i'm always looking for something to make me excited about the form yeah how is it writing your uh, 2015 memoir well, I didn't know I was writing my memoir. I was just writing essays, you know, yeah. like I would come and speak to a class or go and speak to uh, teachers or librarians. Um, and I would write down what I wanted to say so that I would sound a little more eloquent than just talking off the top of my head and also to make the best use of my time. I never want to waste the audience's time. So I would start writing them. And uh, I didn't have this idea I was writing my memoir. I was just... Uh, talking about certain subjects in my life. So the, the what you call a memoir, I call stories from my life. Yeah. And they're basically nonfiction pieces that talk about places I lived or choices I made in my life. When you put it all together, it does make a memoir, but 
I, it's kind of like when you live your life, you don't realize you're living your memoir. Yeah. Right? You're just kind of taking one day at a time. And it's the organic thing that kind of brought it together. Right. Oh, right. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, you mentioned before being being a lover of classical music and opera. Yes. Are there any works in particular that have really influenced you or that you're just deeply affected by? Well, you know, I don't know a lot about opera. I know simply songs that I heard or singers that I admire. I'm a big fan of Maria Callas. Yes. And uh, I listen to her when I want to be encouraged to write well or to write with passion or to write honestly. So listening to Maria Callas, you know, I always think, okay, now try to do that with words. You know, <laughs> you try to reach that level of perfection. She inspires me. I've, I've read all the biographies of Maria Callas, and uh, I'm, I've seen theater about her, and I'm just kind of obsessed with her. Yeah. Uh, so I know some of the pieces. I don't know a lot of opera, but I know Maria Callas. Oh, I think that's beautiful. Um, she is she is a great. Um, yes. Um, yes. Is there, are there any books that you wish you had written? Oh, I think there's lots of books I wish <laughs> I had written. Uh, there's a beautiful novel called The Time of the Doves by a Catalan writer who uh, lived during the Spanish Civil War. Her name is Merce, like Mercy, M-E-R-C-E, Rodoreda, R-O-D-O-R-E-D-A. The Time of the Doves in English and it has a, a different name in Spanish and in Catalan, the Plaza del Diamante, like Diamond Plaza. But we know it as the Time of the Doves. And it's a beautiful novel about an ordinary woman who works at a bakery who gets caught up in the war. And uh, I just wish I had written that book. Whenever uh, I feel a little bit lost or terrified by what I'm doing or I don't like what I'm writing, I just open that book at any page. And uh, it just moves me, and, and I just feel like that's how I want to write. Yeah. Yeah, that's my favorite writer. I guess I have lots of favorites, but uh, Eduardo Galeano, the Uruguayan writer who died the year before last, or uh, his book, The Book of Embraces, anything in that book, all of his writing is, is somewhere, exists somewhere between poetry and myth and fairy tale. I, I always wish I could write like him. And then there's uh, colleagues of mine who are great writers, Joy Harjo, the Native American poet who I went to school with, and Edwige Donticott, who's a uh, colleague, also a friend, a novelist and essayist. I love her book, uh, Create Dangerously. I especially love that book because it makes me feel like writing. I like reading the writers that make me feel like writing, that give me permission to write. Yeah, Those are the writers I want to read. And... Uh, you know, right now I have Thich Nhat Hanh next to my bedside, the Buddhist monk. Pema Chodron, she's a Buddhist nun. Uh, memoir of Gandhi. You know, I just uh, feel we're living in such complicated and depressing times with people divided by, and being divided by fear yeah. that we need to read writers who are uh, spiritual guides, someone who's more intelligent than our politicians and greater than our fears and wiser than ourselves. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah. Um, being being in these times of you know extreme disagreement and you know tragedies happen and violence, violence of of course, uh, not just here but worldwide. Yes. Um, what would you advise artists and authors? How, how can they contribute? Well, um, that was my question to myself 
uh, every day of my life. Because yeah. <laughs> you witness so much as a writer and as a human being, you know, we all witness so much. And I feel that uh, for me as a writer, my task is to write about what I witness and to be a guide to the community. And the way I can do that is by reading writers who I feel are wiser than I am and to make a concerted effort to become wiser before my life dissolves. So I, that's why I read great people like Gandhi and Thich Nhat Hanh and Pema Chodron. I'm looking for direction. I'm hoping that uh, before my time is up that I can be a, a better human being. Yeah. I think that's why we're put on the planet. So I, I feel that everybody is on a sacred journey, every single person on the planet, and we each have a, a job to uh, grow. And um, But for me as a communicator and as someone who works with words and who writes stories and writes poetry, I want to be able to guide my readers with the best possible direction I can. And I can't do that if not I'm not a great human being. So I'm working at becoming a great human being. Is that so hard? Yes. <laughs> Generally. <laughs> but I, I try every day to be a better human being than the one I was yesterday. And um, I'm trying, and uh, I, I read, and as I said, I keep company of wiser writers than myself. Yeah. Uh, so, and I also have readers that come up to me and ask my advice. So I, I need to be ready, and I just can't talk off the top of my head mm -hmm. or off my ego. I really need to be of service. I think the greatest work we can do as writers is to be of service, and um, that's why I was put on the planet. Yeah. Do you write every day still? No, I don't write every day. I, that, I think that's absurd. Mm. No, some days I just want to look at the ceiling and some days I just want to talk to people. And some days I talk too much to people and then the next day I can't write at all. So I don't write every day. But I live my life every day and that's a form of witnessing and um, looking at things and thinking about them. I, I, I'm very easily affected by stimulus and by people. So I do my best writing when I don't leave the house, but all the days that I go out, uh, everything is uh, teaching me a way to be. And I take that with me when I go back to my house and sit in my dining room table and start working. Yeah, no, I get that. Um, you also have started a, a couple of foundations um, yes. to, to, in order to kind of live those ideals. And well, I did when I was uh, living in the States. I had the Macondo Writers Workshop, which I pulled away from and let the members take over because I needed to, uh, I needed the membership to step up and, and, and run it. Yeah. And then I also had a Writers Grant Foundation named after my father, but I closed that after 15 years because I think that was a good run mm -hmm. and I needed to uh, concentrate in this time in my life on my own work. So I was becoming a, a writer's administrator. <laughs> yeah, I get that. And I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to wander away from the real reason why I was put on the planet. So yeah. I, I did it for 15 years, both of them. And then I said, okay, time for me to retreat and get back to my own writing. <laughs> 15 years is a really good long run, I think. Yeah, you know, it's like a, you think, it's like raising a kid. You know, by 15, they got to be able to make their own bed and get out there in the world. And, you know, you help them enough. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> um, last year, you were awarded a National Medal uh, of the Arts uh, and got to travel to the White House to be presented by it. Uh, how, how was that experience for you? Well, I guess I feel like Faulkner, you know, you want to be invited to the White House, but you don't want to have to go. Yes. <laughs> because the, the reason why you don't want to have to go is not to be disrespectful, but... 
because you're writing. And I was in the middle of writing, and the writing was going very well. And I knew as soon as I put my pen down and packed it, I would not get back to that sentence. And mm. it's exactly what happened. So uh, I didn't really want to go at first, but I'm glad I did. I had a great time. It was a, an honor, and um, it was wonderful to be in the presence of the other awardees. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a person that... Um, I'd rather be writing. You know how they have those bumper stickers? I'd mm-hmm. rather be fishing. <laughs> <laughs> I like the award, and it's it's important, And but I knew I had to go to represent. It wasn't about me, Sandra, the writer. It was about the whole community. I was accepting this award on behalf of the immigrant community. I'm the daughter of an immigrant on behalf of working-class people, on behalf of Mexicans and Mexican-Americans who are so... Uh, vilified at this time and uh, I all the people I love and and who would never get to be invited I was representing my mom the housewife who never finished ninth grade my father who served in World War II and didn't speak English and became a citizen by serving you know I was representing these people who are lost and not included in in American history when we say America so that's why I went you yeah. know but personally I wanted to just keep writing and I asked my friend Norma Larcon my Professor, ex, professor, she's not my professor, but she's the person who was a professor for many, many, many individuals who were young writers. And uh, she's more my mentor. But I asked her, you know, should I go? And she said, absolutely, you have to go. So I said, oh, okay. And I had a great time. I wouldn't have missed it for the world if I'd known, but I was just thinking of my, my novel that I'm in progress. And now, when I think back, it was probably one of the most fun days I've had. Oh, I think that's great. So, yeah. so you're working on a novel at this point? Well, I haven't worked on it since I went to the White House. That's <laughs> the problem. I put it down and then other projects. I've been working on other projects. And it seems like, you know, you everything in your life gets in the way of, of the writing and you have to be very, very firm about saying, okay, this is what I'm working on. But there's other deadlines, other projects, other people asking for things, mm-hmm. other projects you start working on. I work on many things at the same time. I'm not just working on fiction. I'm yeah. also working on um, visual arts and I'm working on uh, short stories and I'm working on poetry. So it, it's my own um, lack of focus. Yeah. Not, I'm not going to just blame it on getting an award, but it's just my own lack of focus. I like working, having a lot of kettles on the stove all at the same time. How did you, I know a lot of writers have problems kind of figuring out the rhythms and they're interested in so many different things. How have you found a way to balance all those projects in one and do they feed into each other? I think it's really important to say yes to everything because, you know, if someone comes uh, towards you and says, would you like to write a libretto? What a regret I would have if I said no, right? Mm -hmm. So then I'm working with a clothing designer and doing a show with text and textile and I'm learning a lot doing that and I just feel uh, I want to work with a photographer that we have to um, extend ourselves because each art form teaches you a way of seeing, a way of seeing. And this way of seeing comes into my writing. So I I feel as if life is short. I want to learn as much as I can. I want to collaborate because that's a way that I'm going to venture into new territory. And you know, I've always been a visual artist, even uh, when I was a young, young, young writer. 
so I love all of the art forms. I, I like singing. I love opera. I like all of the above because each of them teaches me another way of, of seeing. Yeah. And that's going to help my writing. I agree. Um, what's the best advice you've ever been given? Oh, the best advice I've ever been given? I like my advice. Yeah. <laughs> my advice to young writers is, one, earn your own money. Yeah. Because if you're taking money from daddy or partner, they control your destiny. Mm -hmm. And you want to have freedom. So, one, earn your own money. Two, control your fertility. And, you know, regardless of what your faith is, you can do that in accordance to your faith. Control your fertility. And I tell the women especially, and the men, because you can get derailed from your brilliant career. And the year, you know, we're in 2017. It's not 1720. Mm -hmm. So you can control your fertility. And number three, solitude is sacred. And I say that because uh, so many people feel penalized if they don't have a partner or if they don't have a date or if they're not living with somebody or if they're not married. And, you know, the times when we don't have company in our life, I feel is a very rich time for us to develop ourselves you know, and uh, I especially don't want uh, young women to feel badly if they're alone. That's time for them to develop themselves, and you can have company later. And I'm that I think my three rules: earn your own money, control your fertility, solitude is sacred, is so important, regardless whether you're going to become a writer or not. So I yeah. think someone should put it on a T-shirt, maybe me. And get it out there to the community because I so want people to, I want young people to have time to uh, be kids and have time to be adventurers and have time to explore themselves and have time to ha get an education. And they can't do that if they're taking care of others. Yeah, no, understandable. Um, are there any up-and-coming authors that you've been reading that you really enjoy? Yes, uh, I know many of them. Uh, there's a young man in San Antonio whose name is Joe Jimenez, and he's a poet, and he has a beautiful novel out, too. His novel is called Bloodline. I think it's great. I think, And I also like uh, this young woman from El Paso. Uh, it's uh, Her book is called Fight Like a Man. And her name is Christina Granados, and she has short stories out. I just think there are two writers that are up and coming. And there's many more, but I'll just at least name those two. No, thank you. Well, before we go, I know our time is short. Uh, would you mind sharing one more poem before we leave? Well, these are stories, but they oh, sound stories, like yes. poems. <laughs> but there's, they're kind of a cross between uh, uh, as if a poem and a story had a baby. This is called There Was a Man, There Was a Woman. There was a man and there was a woman. Every payday, every other Friday, the man went to the friendly spot bar to drink and spend his money. Every payday, every other Friday, the woman went to the friendly spot bar to drink and spend her money. The man was paid on the second and fourth Friday of the month. The woman was paid on the first and third Friday. Because of this, the man and the woman did not know each other. The man drank and drank with his friends and believed if he drank and drank, the words for what he was feeling would slip out more readily. But usually, he simply drank and said nothing. The woman drank and drank with her friends and believed if she drank and drank, the words for what she was feeling would slip out more readily. But usually, she simply drank and said nothing. Every other Friday, the man drank his beer and laughed loudly. Every Friday in between, the woman drank her beer and laughed loudly. At home, 
When the night came down and the moon appeared, the woman raised her pale eyes to the moon and cried. The man in his bed contemplated the same moon and thought about the millions who had looked at the moon before him, those who had worshipped or loved or died before that same moon, mute and lovely. Now blue light streamed inside his window and tangled itself with the glow of the sheets. The moon, the same round O, the man looked and swallowed. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be able to share that here. I don't think I've read in, in Louisiana in a long time. I think I was at Lafayette last time and that was like a decade ago. yeah well we need to get you back to louisiana more often though i think now that my friend is here i need to come back more often that was author and poet sandra cisneros uh, she took some time out of her vacation to new orleans to come and speak with us here uh, very thankful to her for that and that's our show you've been listening to the writers forum on wrbh 88.3 fm You can catch us every Thursday at 3 p.m. as well as on Sundays at 8.30 a.m. This program, as well as all of WRBH's other interview programs, can be found on our SoundCloud page, which is soundcloud.com slash WRBH Reading Radio, as well as on iTunes and Google Play. I'm David Benedetto. Until next time.